I used to have dreams of being a DJ for sure. Oh yeah. Do- remember Dr. Johnny Fever? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh my God, he was yeah. the greatest. Yeah. I grew up on Dr. Johnny Fever. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Okay. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. So tonight we're talking about Inglorious Bastards, 2009 Quentin Tarantino film. Partially because today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. See, I didn't know if you were going to mention that because if you or just have the podcast be evergreen. I wasn't sure if you were well, going to Well, we're not it. topical. Okay, we're not. But we don't always... Um, but it is a good day, an appropriate day to discuss this movie. I suppose so. Maybe I should introduce the podcast as well. Sure. This is The Jewish Frame, a Jewish podcast about movies and a movie podcast about Jewishness. I am Ben Chin. I'm Rabbi Dan Ain. And yeah, we're, we're going to talk about Inglorious Bastards, um, partially because it fits into a movie subgenre, I guess, of Jews versus Nazis. I'm sure we will talk about other Jews versus Nazis movies in that the future. That seems inevitable. M- maybe even this evening. And also, I really want to do a movie. That you would like. I do, yes. And you're a Tarantino guy. I do like Tarantino, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was what my good friend and co-screenwriter from way back over 20 years ago, he used to say the thing about Dan is, Dan uh, loves watching movies, he just doesn't like them. That was just sort of the old thing. I just, I love movies, but I was always terribly critical of them. But I do remember going and sitting in a Philadelphia art house. I was visiting someone at the University of Pennsylvania, and we went to a, I was a freshman in college, and we went to a Philadelphia art house and saw Pulp Fiction, and just, it was a different experience. There was a tension in that room, nervous laughter that you never hear in a movie theater, and I think from that point on, I just like got heavy into indie film so i think i'm the typical gen xer in that respect yeah i never it's not that i didn't like tarantino he was very cool right and so i think i always resisted right being into the stuff that everybody thought was really cool you know yeah so i don't think i saw many of his movies in the movie theater pulp fiction i think i certainly didn't this one, Inglorious Bastards, I know I didn't, pretty sure I didn't see in the movie theater. Um, Reservoir Dogs, I probably saw like at my college's like film society. I, I'm sure I saw sure. that after it came out. Well, it was a huge hit at Con, right? Reservoir Dog, if, I'm, if, I, if yeah. I remember correctly. That was his breakout sort of recognition. People didn't really, weren't talking about it. I don't know. Well, certainly n- not of my contemporaries weren't talking about it when it came out but certainly very soon afterwards that's right there was a lot of buzz vhs absolutely um and i remember by between seeing pulp fiction late 94 in the theater um until jackie brown came out by the time jackie brown came out i saw jackie brown at a private early not final cut in harvard square because i had gone so obsessive in those years um that i saw jackie brown i'm just like huh i remember being like huh you didn't get that movie not the first time 
Not the first time. Has it grown on you? You know, I have no history of watching black exploitation films. So, you know, I, I don't have the frame of reference there. I have more frame of reference on Jews versus Nazi films. Yeah. Uh, which makes it more, you know, relatable. Yeah. You know, and I still think his masterpiece will go down as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I believe is the best <laughs> great movie. of his nine movies. So I'm, I've been saying that for a long time now. Well, there's a connection between... Oh, there certainly sort of kind is. Of this oh, movie and that. yes, there is. So, Inglorious Bastards, this came out, this was 2009. So this was after the Kill Bills. And then he did like Grindhouse, yeah, he did some... Death Wish. Death yeah. Wish, did some other little stuff. And I feel like this movie was sort of hailed as a return to form for him. I heard yeah. he's recorded two whole episodes of Bounty Law and has like a four-hour cut of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I will watch. I would watch that. I would purchase. I would watch yeah. it. Absolutely. All right. All right. Let's get so to So let's get to Inglorious. So. What a we, cast. What a, I mean. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You got. It's just Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. He just chews it up. Man. You got Christoph Waltz in his American debut, I think. I don't. Had, had we seen him in anything? Nobody this side had before? seen him. Oh, I learned through my research that that role of uh, Landa, uh, Tarantino had real problems with and was thinking about DiCaprio as Landa. Role, as Landa. Uh, it would have been a very, very, very different <laughs> yes, movie, right? Yes, it would have. Um, Not sure it would have We would have got DiCaprio and, and Pitt, Pitt on screen together much, much earlier. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, that didn't quite work. And Tarantino, as he was trying to do it, started despairing that the role was unplayable. And on the page, it does seem to be unplayable and christoph waltz does something that is just i mean it's amazing he's you like him you're not rooting for him because he's so clearly the villain but he is so compelling and charming and the best Heyman i've ever seen portrayed i mean you could really look at the best that's the best portrayal of Heyman. I think that we have seen. I mean, that's that's who he is, right? He's the archetype. He's the right hand man. He's the Jew hunter. Yeah, who's out to get those Jews? Who's out to sniff out the Jews? Who has a personal vendetta against the Jews? Who is you know smarter than everybody else and manipulating all things around him? But Haman turns out not to be so smart, or not smart enough. Landa, well, he almost is. gets away with it. He does get away with it. Uh, until sort of, sort of, kind of. I think the marking on his forehead is satisfactory enough. Yes. I think it's good. I think but we need it. I think it the movie doesn't work unless, if, unless if, that's there. Because you know why? Because he's so fastidious that you know that it's just, you know, to have that mark on his, you know, it just, it just, it undercuts anything that he would want to do going forward. So it's, um, it's, he might, they might have to let him go. They might not be able to murder him like his partner when they, when they, at yeah. the end of the movie, when they, you know, they get past the borderline and they have to, 
you know, surrender. <laughs> and uh, Landa surrenders, and Pitt takes takes the gun out of the uh, the Nazis, just shoots the Nazi guard. He's like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, well, he didn't have the deal." <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about him. That's right. Well, he's just a Nazi, so he's yeah. going to shoot and kill a Nazi, and he would have done the same for Landa, except he couldn't. Right. What yeah. does he say? He says, uh, "Yeah, no one cares about him. What are they going to? What are they? <laughs> yeah, what are they going to do?" What, what, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to get, they're not going to hang me for that. They're going to, they're going to chew me out. I've been chewed out. <laughs> He's so good. Brad Pitt's I, really, really I good. He's so amazing in it. But, I, it's but, a charisma that I just, I can't account for. That's a movie star charisma. It's unbelievable. And same with Christoph Waltz. I mean, really. Well, and he yeah. came out of nowhere. And yeah. Well, he sort of is the movie. Christoph Watts. I mean, you you can't leave that movie thinking. That, I mean, he dominates every scene. He heightens all yeah. of the tension. Well, we have to talk about that first scene. Sure. I mean, that first it's like twenty minutes. It's really long, and it's well, yeah, it's so weird, right? The beginning, and you know, we're not going to go through every scene, but this one is is remarkable i think we'll have to talk about tone shifts so maybe we're not going through every scene but we need to talk about the tone because there are points in this movie where the tone misses in well, a certain way and and i think that first scene and then the subsequent scene are are jarring for the viewer well, um because to see jews get slaughtered under the floorboards well you don't really see it oh you see it plenty you see them very briefly under the floorboards. And then you see the German firing at the floor. You do not see them die. You don't even hear them matter? die. There's at that point, it's really, it's so weird. I mean, the scene in general is when I first saw this movie, I did not like it. Well, yeah, I, I, I was so disoriented. That's my point. By it. And I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what if it you was, were allowed to like it. If I, I didn't really get what it was about, I didn't understand what it was trying to do, and and a lot of that is Tarantino's. I mean, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think every effect that he uh, um, causes, I, 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 he's 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 doing yes, everything he means to do. I I agree with you, but he's not a hundred percent with his choices. Oh, I just, well, okay. In terms of your, the way they Just in his, in his whole filmography, he, he know, I agree with you. He knows exactly what he wants, but he's not 100% in his choices. Some of the stuff he does works better than others. He wasn't good as, you know, Bonnie's husband in Pulp Fiction was a poor performance by him. So. Okay. Well, but that was early on, right? He makes poor decisions sometimes. Yeah. I think by the time he gets to Inglorious Bastards, he's kind of at the top of his game. I think, so my beef is, it's really jarring to go from shooting the Jews in the floorboards to... The, wacky Hitler. The whack. Well, bef- even before you get to Wacky Hitler, Wacky Hitler is its own thing. I'm not sure what that is. Um, but before you get to Wacky Hitler, you get sort of like the starting lineup for the bastards. Right, right. And he's got like these graphics, like these Marvel graphics for Hugo Stieglitz and stuff like that. And 
it goes from the awful, horrific, real scene of the Jews getting slaughtered underneath the floorboards to a comic book really quickly in a way that is jarring to the viewer. Well, I think he prepares you. The start of the movie, first you get Ennio Morricone on the soundtrack. You get a soundtrack literally out of a spaghetti western. It's not music that Ennio Morricone wrote for this movie. It was music that was lifted from some spaghetti western and put in this movie. So that's number one. You get spaghetti western music. And then you get a guy outside his cabin splitting wood. This is straight out of at least 20, 30 westerns, probably. I saw a western like six weeks ago, an Audie Murphy western. Begins the same way. That exact scene, <laughs> right? A uh, Shane, right? That exact scene. Guy outside his cabin splitting wood. And then a uh, stranger approaches. Again, this is all out of a Western. And what's really weird is that in a Western, the stranger that approaches is the good guy. It's Audie Murphy who is the guy that, that is, is the stranger that approaches. It's Shane. It's Alan Ladd who's the guy who approaches. And then you see it's a Nazi. So already Tarantino is playing all kinds of games. And, and then, yeah, and then the next thing is everyone's speaking French. <laughs> Right? With the Morricone music and whatever. And then I guess the music dies down, and then you get into the whole thing, and he comes in and he's questioning him in French, and then he switches to to English, right? And now it's an interrogation scene. It's like it's like Columbo or something. With with you know, Landa in the part of the kind of detective who is unnerving the guy that he's And he has, it's interesting, he has a, did you say Columbo? Is yeah. That, yeah, he has a, bubbling is the wrong word, but he has a comedic manner to his investigation. And to his, he's just, he's flamboyant. Um, That's a bingo. You just say bingo. <laughs> Bingo! Oh, what fun! You know, he's flamboyant. He's, and th his manner of questioning, you never know where he's coming from. You never know what he knows and what he doesn't know. You know, especially in that scene where they're waiting for the cream and they're eating the strudel. You just have no idea if he has any idea that this is Shoshana. Well, this is the que this is a fundamental question that I have about the movie is, does he know? I think the answer is yes. Absolutely. He does. Right? He's got to. Absolutely. He's too smart. Absolutely. Not to know. I mean, I think he's if, just, he's if just having he's fun. He's able to leverage the bastards, you know, and Shoshana. He doesn't know about Shoshana's plot, though, and I don't think at any point. If he's able to leverage their blowing up of the theater to free himself, you know, he obviously understands more than other people understand around him. At least that's how he's portrayed. Right. But in that opening scene, and actually throughout, he is entertaining. He is fun. He is funny. And he is also terrifying. 
And that combination is awesome. It's just, where do you see that? And he's also German. I mean, he's also terrifyingly German too, you know? Oh, yeah. In, 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 well, the, in the scariest of possible ways. And that's the other. So, so, so I guess what I'm saying is the tonal shifts, Tarantino kind of prepares you for from the, he tells you <clears throat> right away. Uh, I'm going to be playing all kinds of games in this film. I'm mixing stuff together. I'm mashing stuff up. Can I mention something? I'm curious. I think Landa's pipe. Yeah, which is so funny. I the guy, ju- the farmer takes out his like little pipe that, and Landa takes out this massive meerschaum. It's a joke. It has to be a joke. And so it's just so obvious joke in the middle of this interrogation scene. It's so unnerving. And you're like, oh, that's, are we in a farce here? Is this a joke movie? Because he's got a clown pipe. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's that's crazy. Right. And that's Landa's, one of the things that makes Landa terrifying is that he is so kind of outlandish and, and is willing to do stuff that seems ludicrous. And yet he is completely in control. You dare not laugh at him. Because he's a Nazi in a big freaking coat, and he knows it. He you know, it's interesting. Heyman is not as put together as Landa. Heyman is no. not. Heyman is more unstable than Landa's character is. Heyman is more. You're right. Heyman is more. Uh, Landa's more put together. We see Heyman going back home to his wife to talk about, oh, the king loves me. The queen invited. That doesn't sound like Landa. Well, also, Heyman has a boss. Landa is a law unto himself. In this film, he doesn't seem still, to answer to anybody. There's still crazy Hitler. There is still crazy Hitler, and there is still, but you do have that scene that we mentioned with the strudel. And Goebbels, yeah. Goebbels is there, but Landa does not seem to be answering to Goebbels. Not at all. Right? Uh, he's on his own track. He seems to be completely the master of his own domain, right? He doesn't seem to answer to anybody. And he's really, really scary. Anyway, he's Christoph Waltz. He's just, I mean, you can't imagine anybody else being able to do. Certainly not Leonardo DiCaprio. And that, you know, Christoph Waltz is a movie star because of his role in this movie. I can't think of many people who have created a character as complicated to put across. The only thing, a person I can think of is like Heath Ledger as Joker. James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini is one. Heath Ledger is is another. Just like the degree of difficulty of what they're doing and the layers of the characterization that you you can't really take apart. Like, how is Walt doing this? I don't know. You know, it is International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and we studied this week at the synagogue Hannah Arendt as work Eichmann in Jerusalem. And it's interesting when you juxtapose her depiction or description of Eichmann as this quasi-spectrumy, organized clown uh-huh. who just could only speak in cliches and follow orders and wasn't able to think, just like adult 
and just this banal dolt versus Landa, you know, I think if we talk about this as a Jewish revenge fantasy, Landa as a villain is much more appealing to the Jew than Eichmann as the villain. If you follow Arendt. Well, you couldn't watch Eichmann for two hours. <laughs> no. Right? You couldn't. Although they did make a movie. No, and I think that's Arendt's I think that's Arendt's point. It's just I saw that awful Kenneth Branagh movie with Stanley Tucci. Terrible. Oh, was that terrible? Did you like that movie? I mean, it wasn't really much of a movie. <laughs> I mean it's sort it was of a boardroom. Yeah, it was sort of interesting. It was about this movie, uh, do you remember what it's called? Conspiracy. Conspiracy about the Wan C conference. Yeah. Um, I mean it was solution. sort of interesting to yeah. see what they were doing. I think, you know, Brana's always so Brana, but I think he yeah. like based it right off the notes, you know, the memos from the meeting itself. Yeah, there wasn't, it, there was nothing really dramatic. No. About, there was no real drama there. No. Right? And he maybe tried to squeeze some out somewhere. But, but I get, but my point is like Landa for us as two Jews, you know, there's a villain, there's an evil evil but you, character oh you just that want to keep that, watching him forever he's he's so wonderful you want shoshana to, watch. to get away well you, you definitely want, want shoshana, shoshana to get, to get away. away right so you know you don't want shoshana to be caught by landa you're rooting for shoshana yes yeah you're not rooting for 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 landa right you, he's you not- just admire him as a villain which you don't do with Eichmann. That was, that was the point I was trying to make. Um, yes. Which I think makes it an appropriate revenge fantasy because you need a worthy villain. You need a, but an the re- appropriate villain. But, but Landa is not the object of the revenge, really. The object of the revenge is the whole is it, it, Nazism as a whole, right? I think, I mean, you say, you know, that thing at the end they do to Landa, that's, that's necessary. It is. I think that's true. But he doesn't get blown up in the movie theater. And when, you know, the entire German high command <laughs> is, is, is burned alive well, this was in his, a movie theater. This was Tarantino's you know, great contribution to American film or to film in general. Which is, he understands violence in a profound way, where you can, I remember seeing Once Upon a Time, I saw it down the block here, the second to last movie I saw before COVID. I saw it at the art theater on Balboa, and he has a way of showing violence that is so over the top and so inappropriate and so disgusting and gross, but he uses it against characters that deserve it. And as a result, everyone is just rolling in laughter in the aisles. And it's just a really interesting, like, are we upset that he bashes the faces of the uh, Manson murderers? No, it's like, it's cathartic well, to see, and I think that that serves as sort of the spine of Inglorious Bastards. Well, what about that that guy that, whose head they bash in with a baseball bat? Does he deserve it? This is a yes career soldier. Yes, in the des- German army, he deserves it. He deserves it. He's a Nazi. Is he? Uh, yes. 
I don't. So I guess I don't I, even know I'm is. the audience. I'm the Gen X Jewish audience that has no problem. You know, I, I'm not going to say who. It's my younger brother. But when he, we were living in Brooklyn, he had a hipster shirt that said the bear Jew, yeah. you know, and he, my brother, you know, str- big, strong guy, not like me, big, strong muscles guy would go around with this big, you know, bear Jew T-shirt. It, You know, I think uh, it's funny. It's a source of funny, weird pride for Jews. The idea of the Jew bashing in the Nazi's head. No, I don't. Does he deserve it? Of course he deserves it. But he sets it up. Like Tarantino, what's, I think what's great about, one thing that's great about him is the violence is a release, right? It's always, it's a release of tension. And he builds that tension. That scene, doesn't begin with him bashing the guy's head in it begins well first you get the whole thing with with aldo rain and brad pitt's whole monologue right and then you get them in you know i guess they're behind enemy lines they're in germany and you that have the introduction of the bear chew which is eli roth first like this has got to be from some movie right of him um you know banging the baseball bat against in the inside of the tunnel you don't see him for a while, you just know that he's a bear Jew and everybody's scared shitless of him. And then he appears and then they're talking to the German and they're interrogating him. And right. And, and it's, you're just, you're getting more and more and more wound up. So when the violence comes, it's, you know, it's built, it's earned. Uh, that's uh, absolutely. I mean, that's a filmmaker. That's right. That's correct. And uh, it's hilarious. I mean, his name is Donnie Donowitz, right? Donnie Donowitz. <laughs> from Boston. Clearly from Boston. What, what does he say? Uh, yeah, Teddy Ball game. They would hit that one on the lands down. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's crazy. It's just so far over the top. Well, and it's, I would contrast what Tarantino is doing with what you see in Nation's Pride, uh, which is the movie within the movie oh yeah that the the what was know, the soldier's soldier. name, sergeant's name i forget um i can't remember but oh, shoot. Uh, yeah um yeah the the young german um played by nicky lauda yeah I forget so the actor's name there's the movie with within... nicky lauda in that other movie oh in that the... rush he oh, played yeah, nicky yeah, yeah. lauda in that rush movie uh, well i want to talk he about was the... excellent in that movie really though. he was great in this I movie i loved rush it's a it's my favorite ron howard movie okay yeah, and he's very good at Nicky, as Nicky Lauda. Uh, I, I will have to check it out. It's <laughs> Another too. Austrian character. Yeah. So, the movie within the movie, which is directed, by the way, by Eli Roth. <laughs> the guy who plays Donnie Donowitz actually directed Nation's <laughs> What's Pride. What's the direction? Stay up in the bird's well, eye view and just shoot. Well, I mean, the movie, the Nation's Pride movie is so dumb. It's yeah, dumb. exactly. So, you can, that's the contrast with what Tarantino is doing. Right, is this movie where it's just it's just all violence uh. all the time, and that's the movie, <laughs> right? And and that's what Nazis get off on, right? Is just is is just oh, fair enough, right? Fair enough. It's a critique violence. on me. I agree. It's a critique on me. I'm laughing, and no, you no, know, no. Goebbels is laughing. No, no, so no. same difference. Oh, right? you're laughing at Nation's Pride. I uh, know. I'm laughing at uh, Inglorious Bastards. He's laughing at Nation's Pride. No, What's but what the difference? I'm saying is they're constructed completely differently. What I'm saying is the violence in Inglorious Bastards is earned, 
it's uh, built up to oh, right yeah. it it, oh, it actually yes. is part of yes, the, it's just this, the character it's just and the this story. scared soldier <laughs> just shooting indiscriminately right and yes nation's pride is just a guy in a tower just <laughs> mowing people down and the germans aren't getting you know the people who are watching it are not getting release out of it they're just they're getting more and more and more turned on basically um which is why you're glad when they all get you know burnt to a crisp but I did want to talk about, since you brought it up... They deserve it. The sort of... Uh, well, they clearly deserve it. The supporting characters. Yeah. That's another thing that's really interesting about oh, this Oh, yeah. Movie. You were telling me this the other day. It's fascinating. Share this with people, because no one knows this. Um, well, all the Germans, played by Germans or Austrians, right? All the... Right? Everybody who's speaking German. German is their first language, those actors. All the people who are speaking French. French is their who first is language. Who is Emmanuel Mimieux? Who's that actor? Who's Shoshana? Who's uh, she is a Jewish. And this is the other thing. All the Jews in the movie are played by Jews. She is a Jewish actress. Jewish, French actress, right? All the... the Tremendous. She's Tremendous terrific. in this role, yeah. All the, um, Tarantino actually originally didn't want to cast her. She was being considered. And when he talked with her, he's like, I don't know. You're kind of too well known. In France, and I, I really, I kind of want to go with it. And she's like, "No, no, no, no! I'm not well known at all. I'm nobody. <laughs> no one's ever, no heard one's of ever me. heard of me." Um, so I think she was. I mean, she did have a uh, um, career in in France already. Um, but yeah, she's great in this. But yeah, all the Germans are Germans or Austrians. All the Jews well, they, are Jews. And it's all significant the because they French. play with dialect. Dialect, yes. Accent is yes. plays a key role. In this movie. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have timed it, but I think probably at least half of this movie isn't in English. Half of this movie could, it could be a foreign film. And you don't notice, really, because you, you know, you're going in, 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 in English. Because Waltz French, carries German, a lot of the non-English scenes. Well, also because he will do several, he will speak English and German and French sort of interchangeably. But there are whole scenes that are just in German. Um, in fact, one of the set pieces of the movie, the, the barroom scene, the, oh, yes. the yeah. subterranean tavern scene is until the very, very end. It's all in German. The you want to set scene. up a meetup in a basement? Yeah. <laughs> That's the, I mean, talk about suspense and tension building and then exploding in violence. That's little just a cheap. I thought it was a little cheap. That the Nazi officer the is around the, is around the corner the whole yeah, time. Sure, little cheap, if you ask me. It's a little bit of a coincidence. Yes, yes, yes. Right, but but playing it's a that great game, scene. they're playing the card game. So here's the interesting part. Here's the interesting thing. I thought. So all the as I said, like very faithful in terms of casting. You know, Jews as Jews, French as French, Germans as Germans. Von Hammerschmack. The English. Yeah. Are not. Played by Englishmen. There are three English characters in this film. Oh yeah, what's his name? The um the famous actor. That's his name I'm losing at the moment. Right. One is played by Michael Fassbender. That's the guy, Michael Fassbender. Who yeah. was born in Germany. He's German? He's born in Germany and um I from a very, very young age, uh, then went to live with his family in Ireland. So he's really an Irishman. But uh, I some German extraction. The other one is Mike Myers, who's Canadian. And the third but one... He's from an Irish family that moved to Canada. Playing 
Winston Churchill family. is Rod Taylor, who was sort of a B movie actor, like with so much makeup. So why? Him. So what's that about? Because Germans are always played by Englishmen. That's this is my theory, right? In all these like well, Star war Wars, movies, the Empire, well, the Empire, all the bad guys, the Germans, the Brits. Nazis, right? That's right. In uh, in you know what Raiders or whatever, right? The the Nazis are always played by Englishmen, and so I think it's another kind of game that Tarantino is playing. Is like you know the English always get to be English, and they also play everybody else. He's like, okay. This time, the Englishmen, none of them are going to be. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get uh, randoms to play gonna, English We're going to beat them in their what, own game. What did you think of Mike Myers' cameo? I don't understand it. See, some, see, Tarantino does not make great choices 100% Well, again, of the time. this might be, um, you know, yeah, usually you have Englishmen playing Germans and kind of screwing it up. We're going to have a Canadian playing an English person yeah, and kind of screwing it up. But it's, it's also... Goofy. It's also... It takes me right to So I Married an Axe Murderer. Like that. It's very goofy. It's very goofy. It's very goofy. Righto. Go fix yourself a drink over there, good chap. It's very goofy. I think he's just making fun of the English, which I am all for. <laughs> you were born where? I was born in England, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, usually the, the English in these kinds of films get to be sort of the highest status, sort of, you know, respectable folks and but not in this movie he makes them look like clowns or Mike Meyer he casts a clown as the British general instead of having you know Peter Fox or you know Richard Any, Attenborough anybody exactly. right um or Peter O'Toole or sure. whatever right it, no we're not doing that we're doing we're gonna do this other thing <laughs> we're gonna make Mike, him look like jackasses hey, I saw Mike Myers in the bar last night I'm like hey do you want to play you know it's just so random it's, it's really random and I I could not get my head around it for the longest time and, <laughs> and that's the only that's way I can come up with okay it. Is, is well it's you know it's that it's that scene in that big room and then it's that crazy hitler scene and that those big that's another big room um two very strange scenes uh, yeah that sort of pull you out a little bit of the movie what's the point of the hitler scene very upfront too third seat in right it's pretty soon it's it's early on nine 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 that you get that you get, that you get hitler yeah yeah all right, so what do you want to talk about? What, 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 um... Well, let's do a sidebar. Sure, sidebar. Sidebar. Uh, Sidney Poitier died earlier this month. I don't know if you saw Wesley Morris of the New York Times, his column. I didn't. He wrote a column in the Times that began, uh, I'm paraphrasing, the greatest American movie star of all time is Sidney Poitier. And he makes the case. And I think a case can be made. He basically says that nobody has ever done more with less. Mm -hmm. Right? Nobody yeah. has ever had to accomplish so much with as so, a movie star. Yeah, with so little given. And, and with so little given and, and kind of fighting such ridiculous, yeah. Right? And, and, and doing things that are just unprecedented for somebody like that. And I think that, you know, that might be, that might be right. I mean, he was really limited in terms of what he could do. Right? He couldn't. He couldn't play a villain in a movie. He couldn't. But to do be it. the greatest 
movie star of all time, you would probably have to be in a in a box office success. He was in many box office successes. Nineteen sixty seven. He was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, and To Sir with Love in the same year. And those are high grossing movies? Those are huge hits. I mean, well, Heat of the Night was a big hit. It won um, You know I've never seen all three of those movies. You've never seen any of them. No, in the heat I've of the seen night, sneakers with Sidney Poitier. <laughs> That's a fun movie. In the heat of the night is, I think it hasn't aged great. Um, it's uh, a cop movie. Right? It's a cop movie. It's you know, I mean, guess who's coming to dinner? All these movies today maybe don't seem like the greatest movies ever made, but guess who's coming to dinner was a massive hit. In the heat of the night was a huge hit. To serve with love. I think it was not as big, but it was a it was a hit movie. I'm sure in England, it was a huge hit. It's like set in an English girls' school, and Poitiers is their is their teacher. These were three hit movies with a black star, and they made yeah they made a lot of money, and I think a lot of his movies made. A lot of money. The Defiant Ones, which was 58, which he did with Tony Curtis. That was a huge hit. I mean, yeah, he was like a bankable star, I think, through the the 60s into the 70s. He did stuff with Bill Cosby. I mean, movies that are, I think, looking back, not as great, but they were were hits. And... um, yeah, like I said, he, you know, he couldn't, there was, he was, had obstacles to overcome that no white, no white actor had to deal with. I saw a CBS Jane Pauley <laughs> Sunday morning thing a couple of days ago with that Asian character actor. I can't, it's the classic. He's been in everything for the past 60 years. And you've like Big Trouble in Little James Ch- Hong? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. 96 years old. And they did an amazing interview with him. And, you know, he, he's in that famous Seinfeld episode, which I showed my kids just recently, that, you know, and, um, uh, and it's sort of a similar story about how, you know, he wanted to act. So he had to take really, really crappy roles, really despicable roles, but that's all he could get. But Poitier didn't do that. Poitier refused to do that. He would not wow. play a gangster or a street sweeper. Or, I mean, his first movie um, of any note was uh, No Way Out, where he played a doctor. And Richard Widmark is like this racist patient, I think. So he knew, I think, very early on what he was trying to do. Wow. Like, you know, what his project was as a black movie star, right? And he was a, I mean, and I mean, he was a civil rights activist as well, right? He was marching and all that stuff, right? He knew the leaders of the civil rights movement. He was working with them and it was all of a piece, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there were roles. I mean, that's the other side of it is not just that, very early on in his career, he had to overcome obstacles even to do anything, right? But he uh, plotted a real kind of narrow path for himself in a lot of ways. Like, there were parts he would not 
play because he knew what those portrayals would mean. And it just, it limited him as an actor. Right? So he wouldn't have been in a Tarantino film is what He you're would saying. not have been in a Tarantino film. No, <laughs> he, he would not. Um, but, uh, and, and Tarantino, yes, tends not to, you don't see black people in Tarantino films playing Sidney Poitier type Well, characters. I think Sam Jackson has gotten a lot of flack, you know? I mean, I think. He certainly has. People have had trouble with Tarantino's uh, lavish use of language. Yep. Yep. And so I don't see Poitier, he has too much dignity, perhaps, to play any of those roles. Well, if it weren't for Sidney Poitier playing you know, doctors there would be no, and police, there would, there would, right? Then black people would never get to, you know, uh, be able. There would be no Jules Winslow. That's right. There wouldn't, sure. right? right? I mean, thankfully, you know, black actors don't have to, Whew. right? Uh, plot such a narrow path for themselves anymore, you know, uh, for fear that, um, you know, all black people will be painted with that, with that brush. I mean, now you, you see. I hope that's true. Right. I hope that's true. Now you see black actors in all, you know, they play doctors and lawyers and <laughs> police and gangsters and, you know. Human beings. Uh, uh, I mean, not always, right? And probably still limited in Hollywood uh, in a lot of ways, right? Um, I mean, you don't generally. Well, I that's mean, what Eddie. You know, that's black what... Panther was this like crazy anomaly. Right, it should not have been that big a deal, but it was a, it was a big deal, and is still a big deal. So that stuff is still with us. Heaven forbid we could create mythologies for people other than you know of a certain skin tone. I mean, I think that that's sort of the beauty of the era we're moving into is we can create mythologies for all sorts of cultures and find you know big. I mean, I saw. I, I watched these Marvel movies, and you know the what was the the, the recent one, Shang Yi or that Shang Li? Shang, yeah, no, I, I wasn't seen it. terrible. You know, it oh, wasn't really? terrible. No, it wasn't. It wasn't awful. And I don't usually love the Marvel films, but I, you know, I like interesting mythical uh, characters. So anyway, it's nice to have some diversity in our films. I think, and we can give Sidney Poitier a lot of credit. For I think that. so. All right, end of sidebar. Yes. However, to segue. Yes. Tarantino, <laughs> generally, I think African-American culture is one of his yeah. uh, preoccupations. To say the least. Let us say. He doesn't, really get, he doesn't get to do that in this film. Uh, there is one black character, and he's French. Yes. Um, and it's uh, Emmanuel's boyfriend, who uh, works in the... Uh, Shoshana's... Shoshana. Yeah. Is, is he her boyfriend? It's never quite explicit. They seem romantically involved, don't they? I don't know. I don't know if he's her boyfriend or if he's just the best friend that she has. It's not, I don't feel, I didn't feel any kind of heat coming off of that relationship. Oh, interesting. Okay. It doesn't really matter. No. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's all played fairly lightly, you know, you know, they're very, very close, certainly. Um, but yes, he is, uh, he is French, <laughs> you know. Um, so it, it's not, and certainly like a whole bunch of Jews, this is not the kind of palette that Tarantino is used to kind of painting. No, it's, uh, it's odd. 
it's you know it's uh, i think that first scene that's the scene i like <laughs> if i'm flipping through it and the brad pitt lineup scene is is on it's just it's you have to watch that every time he's like i'm looking for yeah what is it what how many how is that i want my scalps i'm looking for Tan Jewish American is just so different. Yeah. And it's so Jewish. So well, he's I mean, not Jewish. I'm, yeah, but the movie is. And I'm so putting you it think in the this canon. Is a Jewish movie. I'm putting it in the canon. Okay. This fully deserves to be in the canon. If Esther, if Esther is in the Tanakh, then Inglorious Bastards can be in our canon. Huh. Well, both kind of outliers. That's correct. No mention of, of the name of God in the book of Esther. That's right. Total outlier. So, and okay. of course, the Jews. So you mentioned Esther. Let's 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 drill a little deeper sure, into that. Sure, please. So Shoshana, yes, is Esther hidden identity? Don't tell right? him you're Jewish. You but got she it. does. Does she? She never does. In the end, in the, the just like before she kills them on the big screen. In the movie filmed by her boyfriend. We're arguing if that's the boyfriend. But in the movie filmed by the boyfriend, she gets, she says, whatever she says on that screen, I don't recall. I don't think she says that she's Jewish. When you see her big face. Yeah. She doesn't say anything. I don't, I was going to go back and, because I was thinking of that, you know, I'm, I don't know whether, I don't know whether she does or not. And it's the actions of one woman who lead to murder, lots of death. It's her. Well, certainly. That's Esther. That's, yes, that is Esther. Yeah. Certainly. And the idea of having to keep her hidden identity and the idea of having to hide her identity around Haman, Haman, around Landa is interesting. But she doesn't have You a, don't ever get that good Landa reveal with her, which I guess we would have needed, right? I'm obviously playing with it a little bit, but what's interesting about the Book of Esther is the, <laughs> the Book of Esther is just odd in the canon because the books usually don't end with the jews overtaking the person or the group that had plotted to murder all of us and then murdering thousands and thousands of them and then rejoicing and having a party like that is not the normal narrative in the biblical texts that we read and it's not also usually the narrative of Jew versus Nazi movies. I was kind of thinking about this. Well, for good reason. That, and this, I mean, this movie is true as well. In Jew versus Nazi movies, you rarely have violence as the desired end, right? The, the, the wish of the Jews in the Jew versus Nazi movement movie Right? Usually Schindler's List, they're not arming. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's not usually about, you know, revenge or, or going out and killing Germans, right? I think, frankly, the best Jew versus Nazi movies tend to be comedies, first of all. There's no Warsaw Ghetto Uprising movie. Yeah, but those aren't great movies. I mean, there are. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but those aren't. Those are barely Jews versus Nazi movies. Those are histories, right? Those are, you know. Well, they're not a lot of Jew versus Nazi movies because it it wasn't a good matchup for us for the most part. Well, but there are. I mean, 
you know, there well, was six million. You know, I, when I say Jews versus Nazi, when movies, we talked about Spielberg and um, that's sort of a AI, Jews versus Nazi movie, and AI, of course. We had talked that Kubrick had wanted to do a Holocaust movie, and I remember, I don't remember where I read it, so this will go unsourced, I apologize. <laughs> but the idea was that Kubrick had wanted to do a Holocaust movie, and then after Schindler's moved over to Eyes Wide Shut, and his complaint about Schindler was that the Holocaust is just abject failure, failure, complete failure of humanity, and only Spielberg could pick yeah. a success story out of uh, well, that's a story of the bleakest failure of all humanity. That's not a Jews versus Nazi movie to me. It's a Holocaust movie, and that's different. You know, to me, a Jews versus Nazi movie is Raiders because it you have a, you have a Jewish director and and Nazi villains. It's the producers. I think the producers is probably the best Jews versus Nazi movie um, ever made. Um, you know, Marathon Man. That's a, a, a Jews versus Nazi movie, right? They're all sort of that. They're they're. Is that the one with Rod Steiger? No, 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 no. Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider. Oh god. But he's got a he. he oh no, the pawnbroker is Rod Steiger. Yeah, no, that movie I don't like. <laughs> That's a little art housey and oh, I think fairly pretentious. Unwatchable. Um, yeah. But but that's what I mean by Jews versus Nazi. It's 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 a it's a reframing of that. Well, there are right? not a lot of you in which know, we get to true win. To life. In yeah. Which we get well, to that's win. my point. Right. In, in a, a good Jew versus Nazi movie, we get to win. But in most Jews versus Nazi movies, the way that we get to win is not usually by having Jews massacre Nazis. I know that's what's right? good about even this in one. Raiders. Take their scalps it's, off. It's it's God who gets to uh, you true, know true have enough. vengeance. That's true, right? It's it's not even that's right. Indie. No, it's biblical. They get it's the biblical. Bibl they get the biblical vengeance from the Ark. That's right. Right. Exactly. Um, I think Jews in general feel and let's be you know be explicit in glorious bastards this is not a jewish filmmaker who has directed this film no tarantino right? is not a jew not a jew i think jewish filmmakers generally are uncomfortable with seeing violence as the answer to the violence that was perpetrated upon us let me give a quick sidebar story about that so when i was in new york i had a short film that appeared at the New York Film Festival. And it was uh, Jeremiah Lockwood's playing of the Kol Nidre with his electric guitar juxtaposed with sort of a animation, soft animation of Archie Rand's painting of the 613 over Jeremiah's music with some soft animation, excuse me. And we got an animator who wasn't Jewish and I brought it back to Archie after she had put together, and he said, you could tell she wasn't Jewish. I said, why? <laughs> she said, because no Jewish artist would have chosen those bodily images. She chose physical, bodied, like disembodied hands, arms, feet. He says, Jewish directors and Jewish artists normally don't choose that subject. I right. don't know. We I'm tend to abstract. Away he's a he's a professor of art at Brooklyn College, so I mean, okay. I'm, I'll go with him. I'll defer. I think there is something to that. That the fact that Tarantino does it gives it a gore that a Jewish filmmaker might shy away from. I mean, yeah, not just because it's sort of graphic, 
right? But because it's so damn over the top, it's just so well, over the, the top. The producers is also over the top. <laughs> right in a Jewish way, right? But it's <laughs> right, but it's not about violence being the answer to to be or not to be is over the top. Uh, that is also over the top. And um, actually, I was listening to a podcast earlier today where they actually mentioned that movie. I don't know if uh, well, I can uh, I can turn you on to this podcast, and whoever might be listening to this, <laughs> although it's. it's <laughs> for me to recommend this podcast, it's like they don't really need my help, but. Um, there's a podcast called uh, The Movies That Made Us. Um, it's this guy, Josh Olson, who's a screenwriter, and Joe Dante. You know, Joe Dante, he is a great director. He directed Gremlins, Inner Space. I'm still he scared did. of Gremlins. My, I won't yeah. watch Gremlins with my kids. I still, I still you scares you? I'm still scared. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, he's, uh, he's, uh, um, I think he's a terrific director. And um, actually, the podcast I listened today, and I did want to mention it, the somebody came in with oh what's his name um reitman the guy who just did the ghostbusters jason reitman jason reitman the guy who just did the new ghostbusters movie he was their guest and usually people come in and they just talk about the movies they love or sometimes they'll have a theme and his theme was tone shifts oh in movies oh that was his theme interesting he he came he wanted to come in with and uh, he talked about a whole bunch of movies that do that. That's like starts out being one movie and then you find, and then it turns out to yeah, be another Sometimes kind of movie. it really doesn't work. Right. Sometimes it really does work though. Yeah. Um, and Joe Dante actually mentioned to be or not to be. And uh, Reitman hadn't seen it, which I mean, to me for any, for a Jewish filmmaker, <laughs> not to have seen, well, frankly, he's all just of, watching his dad's work for, for him, for a Jewish filmmaker, not to have seen, frankly, all of Ernst Lubitsch's, Lubitsch's films, um, I find troubling and especially that one. But he's like, yeah, it's, it's tonally like, it's this uh, well, glorious comedy about Nazis well, that was that made was in 1942. That was the problem I had with it too, when you showed it to me. It's just, it's hard to... Hard to get into it. Hard to get into it. It's because they're going to become they're going to the Nazis are going to come and slaughter all these people. So it's hard to see the humor. It does. It does pose a problem. I understand. What yeah, you're saying. I think Lubitsch makes it work. You know, for me, it it does. Work. Well, how much did they really know about what was going on at forty two? Yeah, people knew. People knew. People must have known. I mean, it had, uh, you know, it had already been I happening. I don't think they knew about Auschwitz until like 43. Well, your average American moviegoer didn't, but I bet Ernst Lubitsch did. He was there. Or, his, you know, I mean, that's where he came from. He knew. I bet any Jew who had fled from Europe knew. So, um... Is it appropriate to make this movie? Is it appropriate? Inglorious? Yeah. Could no, you make, I don't know. And that's what bothered me when make, I first saw it. I was like, is this okay? <laughs> Right? Is is this? It also felt. Um, I was. I had this feeling that it was sort of exploitative. Maybe. I just didn't know. That's what made me. It did make me uncomfortable. And the especially, I think one thing that really made me uncomfortable was the violence. To glorify violence in the context of the, you know. Did you catch the, the word the you used? Did you catch the word you used? Yes, sure. So that's the whole thing. That's um, the whole movie right there. Is 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 what? Is the, it's not they're not glorifying, it's inglorious. But they are also glorifying <laughs> it. I mean, you said you're laughing. 
It's You're having a, a great time when somebody's bashing Donnie somebody's Donowitz skull talking about Teddy Ballgame bashing a Nazi's head in. I mean, like, give me a hot dog and a beer and let's go. You know I mean, who was originally going to be cast in that role? As Donnie Donowitz? Yeah. Who? Sandler. <laughs> Could have worked. Well, if Myers is in it, why not? No, I think Adam Sandler could have worked. That would have been very interesting. It would have taken me out of the movie entirely. Yeah, really? That would have been a hard one to get around. Um, okay, I'll tell you why the movie's okay to be made. I'll give you a Jewish argument. And the Jewish argument, ultimately, for the holiday of Purim in general. Which is... And this is my read of the tradition. That Judaism understands that we have these impulses to want to see a Nazi's head bashed in by a baseball bat. We really do. There is some anger, revenge, righteous or otherwise, inside of us towards those. Amalek is the classic enemy of the Jewish people. Haman is considered to be... A descendant of Amalek, Hitler is a descendant of Amalek, you know. Landa would fall as an Amalek character, which we are told to blot out but never forget, right? And there seems to be this understanding that to deny that we have these murderous impulses is not great. It's false. It's not honest. Because we do want to see those awful Nazis killed we do and if we see it in a way that's funny we'll laugh and judaism gives us one day out of the year to do that because we acknowledge that we need an outlet especially if you consider for most of time gone by we've been a homeless people on the run in oppressive environments we have not been in power we have been quite the opposite and so to have one day when we can fantasize about murdering all of our oppressors gives us a release, which is healthy. If we didn't have it, perhaps that impulse would manifest it in other ways. I like to think of Purim as sort of like a little bit of an uh, air valve, that we just take the pressure off a little bit to allow us to live out some fantasies. Uh, and I think it's a healthy impulse. I think you're absolutely right. I think also this movie it does have that topsy-turvy quality as well. The thing that bothers you as shifts yeah. in tone, you but could also see as, as sort of a topsy-turvy sort of, you know, just throwing up in the air of the regular rules of how things should go, which it is what we do. It makes it hard to watch at one sitting. I mean, I've watched Inglourious Bastards a number of times. Uh -huh. I don't think I've ever sat and watched it straight through. Oh, really? Not I. I. It's a. You, you have to. You have to take a break. Well, also this movie, I mean, Glorious Bastards. It is an easy movie to dip in and out of because there are those set pieces, right? I mean, you can. You could take that uh, first scene, right, and just like pull it out, and that's a movie. You well, could the, take that, that the basement, basement tavern that's scene. That's a one act. Yeah, exactly. You could take that out and that's... It's a one act. It it's is. Just a, it's one set. Yeah. That's, that's a, you know, however long that is, 20 minutes, whatever, 20, 25 minutes. That's, you can watch that as a movie just all by itself. And there are maybe, I don't know if there are any other, like, there Tell are some of those Tell me about the slipper. Scenes. The slipper? 
I mean, is there anything there with the slipper? Oh, I do want to talk about Hammer. Hammer, Hammer Von Hammerschmack. Van Hammerschmack. Bridget Van Hammerschmack. I do want to talk about Bridget Von Hammerschmack. The um, slipper. Is there something to that? I don't know. It's sort of a Cinderella thing. I don't know. I don't know, okay, yeah. I don't know what it is. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there is. Everything that Tarantino if does shoe fits, is yeah. coming from somewhere, right? I'm sure. Like his. Oh, I'm so. Landa. Uh huh. When Bridget, when they go to the, when, this is the best. This for me, this is where I just bowed down to Christoph Waltz because he's in on everything, right? So when they show up at the movie theater, he he knows who everybody is. Yeah, and. Van Hammersmark, he says, to, how, how, how did you break your leg? And she says, I broke it uh, mountain hiking. Right. And, and he laughs, but he breaks. Watch it again. Uh-huh. Landa breaks and just has a laugh that is so far over the top. Oh, yeah. On purpose, I think. He, uh, <laughs> it's just, oh, I, I read it as their cover is so ridiculous yeah. oh, clearly. that he can't even contain the laughter. And I just I just thought that that when he broke, I just thought that was next oh, I, that was I, next I, level. I saw that as him just being so clearly telling them, I am laughing at you. <laughs> right? Just in case there was any doubt that I was just chuckling at your story. I'm not chuckling I don't at your think story. He thinks they're that smart. I am laughing. I don't think at he you. thinks they're that smart. That what? That they would know I, what yeah. he was doing? No. And you know, at that point, he doesn't care. Any. He's just yeah, having so what? much fun. He's having so much fun. He thinks he has the <laughs> whole. <laughs> he thinks he has the whole thing wired. He is about mm-hmm. to bring down the entire German high command so that he can go be worth it. like sailboats in Nantucket. It'd be worth it. Right? <laughs> I Unfor- mean, unfortunately. So, yeah, but I do want to talk about von Hammerschmack. Yes. Because um, how do we feel about like how she's treated in this film? It's, this movie is, is really cruel to her. In a few different ways. Like, I mean, first, I mean, you know, she gets shot up, whatever, and her leg gets shattered or whatever. And then when they get out of there and she's, uh, she gets her, she's about to get her leg patched up, right? And Brad Pitt puts his finger into her wound when he is trying to, to verify that she is actually on his side. And a not insignificant detail. A not insignificant detail. And then, of course, at the movie theater at the very end, Landa strangles her to death. And we are shown that in excruciating detail. We are shown him squeezing the life out of her. I mean, it's almost the most graphic piece of violence in the film in a lot of ways and she doesn't deserve that i don't think plus of course shoshana is killed as well she's also not permitted to survive so i don't know there's a thing about violence against women in this film that seems 
a little different. You are talking about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. It's not, it's something he does. I mean, remember Bridget Fonda and Jackie Brown? <laughs> Did she just shot her in, yeah, she in just a parking shot. lot. Yeah, she just gets shot in a parking lot. I mean, you know, she basically suffers the same fate as Robert De Niro in that film. They just get dispatched. I mean, fairly dispassionately. You know, this is, this is a little, this is a little different. So what's that about? I'm what's not sure. There? There's, I, no, there's no humor in that violence. No, I don't know if part of it is that it's meant to rob Landa of our sympathy. I mean, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's necessary either. He is a Nazi. (laughs) He is the Jew hunter. He's the Jew hunter. After all. He murdered all those people under the floorboards in the first scene. Right. I don't think that's necessary for us to kind of uh, uh, not be rooting for him. That's correct. I don't either. Right. So what is that about? That's a question. That's a really good question. I don't know. I'm yeah. It is troublesome. It that troubled me a little. Also, why does Shoshana have to die? And Uma Thurman, by the way, she's had some comments about Tarantino treatment. Yeah. Um, why did Shoshana have to die? I mean it's very grand when it happens. It's very sort of John Woo sort of, you know. She's wearing the red dress. And, I think, you know. yeah, I think there was no way that that, well, I can't remember what, I can't remember Nikki Lauda's name. I just think, I just think he, you just had a hunch that that kid was going to get the last shot out. That's just who he was. Frederick Zola. Oh, yes. Yes, Zola. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought he did a good job with that role. Oh, he was Who's great. the actor? What's the actor's name? The actor's name is... Daniel Brühl. Yeah, Daniel Brühl. That's it. Yeah. yeah, he's great. He's a very good actor. Um, yeah, couldn't he just be dead without having to like rise up and 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 shoot Shoshana? You know, or I mean, is it? I guess no, it's sort of necessary. There has to be something to that. Absolutely. I mean, everybody in that theater is going to die. Who lives? Nobody. No, who lives from the movie? Brad oh, Pitt the movie? lives. Brad Pitt and uh, B.J. Novak. What, B, what, isn't he missing for half the movie? Aren't there scenes clearly... Where he's not in. Where he's not, I think he, he must have been cut out because like all of a sudden he's there at the end of the movie and he hasn't been anywhere. He in was that in the movie. beginning, wasn't he? He's in yes, that first lineup scene. he's gone for the whole movie. You yeah, don't I don't see know. Him in Germany Maybe he was point. off doing something else filming That's the right. office. That's and they so odd. Yes, um, and the little one, right? The they little man. The, the That's little a man. great... Little I gotta say, he does have a great line reading there. He really does. What was it? What, was, what is he it? He just basically says, they call me the little man. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it is a great... I'm surprised. You're not that little. At least not as much as they made you out to right. be in the story. I mean, his line reading and just the look on his face... It's just, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. But yeah, so he survives. Brad Pitt survives. Um, Landa survives. Landa survives. And that's it. Everybody else gets burned up. And well, also, I don't think we can overlook the fact that- Does the projectionist live? No, I think he, I think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he lives. I think you kind of are meant to assume that he burns up with everybody else, right? Because he like locks the doors. He like basically locks everybody in, including himself. I think. So I think, yeah, I think you're supposed to imagine Well, because he's got to light the fire, yeah. Right. So I think also we can't overlook the fact that the instrument of revenge is the movie theater. 
yeah. is the film. And it's yeah. the film that she, you know, is the, the film that she makes. That is the ultimate fantasy of Tarantino, right? The thing that brings down the Nazis. But it's not a Nazis. fantasy, but it's actually not a fantasy. I mean, you know, Goebbels is a character in the movie. The power of film to kill, to sway, to fight wars, the power of propaganda, Zoller's film, Nation's Pride. Yeah. I mean, the movie pretty much is about that. Have you seen Five Came Back yet? What is that? It's, I can't believe I haven't talked to you about this. It's on Netflix. Five Came is, oh, is this the Spike Lee movie? No, no, no. This Which, is, by the way, was really interesting. I'm a Spike Lee fan. Yeah, I'm, I like Did Spike Did you Lee see too. the one where they went back to No, the, I haven't seen that. Yet. Oh, my God. The five really blood, that's the Five Bloods. A really interesting movie. Yeah. I, I just happen to love Spike Lee. Um, he hits notes that are intense, but I don't mind them. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of like, I don't know, him and Tarantino, I feel, are like some, maybe two sides of the same coin in I some mean, ways. Art. I mean, aren't they Gen X filmmakers, both of them? They are, I guess. Um, well, yeah. when, was, when was Do the Right Thing? 86, 87, but he couldn't have been more than 20 at the time. Yeah, I guess they are sort of contemporaries. Um, but uh, yeah, Five Came Back is, it was a book that I read before they made this movie. Um, but it's a documentary from this book about five American movie directors. <gasps> Right, I've told you about this, right? So it's Frank Capra and William Wyler. It's on Netflix? And George Stevens, it's on Netflix. Oh, it was made by that. Netflix. It's a Netflix production. And John Huston and John Ford. Uh, about those five directors who all joined the war effort um, to go either, I mean, in Capra's case, sort of produce propaganda films and also like training films and stuff like that. And in the case of the others, to actually go to where the action was and, and film it, no, for propaganda purposes for the United States. It's, an, it's amazing. And the, the, the documentary, I think it's like a three or four part series. It's better than the book because you see all their, you see their footage that they actually shot. And it's amazing. John Ford was there at the Battle of Midway filming it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's, it's you crazy. Know, and Stevens was there at Dachau when it was liberated and, and documented on film, everything. And that was put into evidence at the Nuremberg trials. Mm. And it changed him. I mean, how could it, how could, how it, could not, it not? Right? He was there forcing himself to put his camera on, on everything. The Houston? Um, no, that was George Stevens, who before the war was making... Um, you know, things, you know, sort of light comedies. Uh, and after the war did A Place in the Sun and I think Giant and, you know, these sort of dark, dark, I mean, you know, it, as, a, as an artist, it completely, it changed all of them. I mean, that's really what you, what the, the documentary is about is, is as artists, like, what do they go and do? And then what did it, do to them to them and it it changed all of them it's 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 really it's, i mean no if you if you like movies yeah um and it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing what did you think about tarantino's counterfactual conceit which really well, comes which now, really right? well it comes into full bloom in inglorious bastards where you have to sort of watch hitler be shot up well, like, I think that's, I mean, I, I, I see now why I got it at the five came back thing. So it's, it's about movies as this 
sort of magical force, right? That you can do things like that. You can change history. You can change the course of a of a war, right? Or the history of of Hollywood, or oh yeah, whatever, right? Storytelling. It's about yeah. It's about the power of of the medium and of these stories. It reminds me of I mean the last scene of Inglorious reminds me of Targets. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was Peter Bogdanovich's first film that he made for Roger Corman. The last the scene when 60s. they're carving the face. I consider this no, to no, be no, my the, masterpiece. The movie theater, and oh. especially when you've got um, the guy behind the screen. So in Targets, it's a it's a weird. Film and it's like so low budget because I mean, Roger Corman basically was like, um, I got like Boris Karloff for like two days. Why don't you go like write some, why don't you go make a movie? You got him for two days and then do whatever the hell you want and, and go make your movie. And so it's this movie where Boris Karloff plays sort of himself. He plays like this aging horror movie star. And that's like, and, and I think Peter Bogdanovich is like a, he's a screenwriter who wants to work with him or something and then that's one whole subplot and then the whole other plot is about this guy it's it's inspired by the shooting in texas um which actually i mean nation's pride Ah, same thing right so that's also what made me think of targets the guy who shot a whole bunch of people from ut right right from a, a clock tower yeah and so in targets it's this it's this psychopath um kid who scales the screen at the drive-in and the last scene is him oh yeah from behind the screen shooting the people at the drive-in so i'm sure tarantino has seen that film probably numerous times and so it's that thing as well of of movies and violence and how these things you put this movie in the canon (sighs) unequivocal I think it's got to be one of the. It's got to be the one of the best Jews versus Nazi movies, right? Even though the Jews part of it. Oh, that's the other thing I did want to get to. You know, that was a real thing. There was an actual platoon uh, of Jews. I don't know if it's a platoon. There was a unit of Jews that were uh, sent behind enemy lines. It was an OSS operation. Now that's a bingo. Yeah, in real life, they were all um, uh, refugees, right? Now in this movie, like a lot of these Jews are just like, where do they find them? They're just like these random Boston, right? <laughs> these random <laughs> Jewish kids. Like, why is this a good idea? But in real life, it, it's like my whole... grandfather who was in the war. I mean, he like looks like one of the you know with the glasses. Yeah, in in real life, uh, the whole point was that these people were refugees from Germany. Uh, or Austria, or whatever, who could operate behind enemy well, lines. Well, that's what went wrong in the basement. That was right. the problem. And, well, in this movie, you just have Stieglitz, who's really the only one. <laughs> I know, right? but everyone, he's also famous, too, which doesn't make which any doesn't sense make either. Any sense, right? He's the only actual German they have, and he's not even Jewish. That's right. No, in, in real life, they were the Jews were actually Germans, so that they, it was like they were, it was a, you know, spy yeah. operation, so they could actually operate behind yeah. enemy lines mm-hmm. without being discovered. And um, you imagine a lot of Jews might have wanted to sign up for that. Uh, well, yeah, these ones did. And actually, they made a documentary actually about them. I can't remember what it's called, but I did see some clips from it. And um, one of the guys, one of them said, 
I was perfect because of my love and my hate. My love for America and my hate for the Nazis. I thought of another Jew versus Nazi film, which has violence and the Jews killing. Stars Daniel Craig. Defiance. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Is it good? I didn't see it either. It's about the Bielski brothers. Which is, a, which is a famous true story of... Well, that's also sort of a... I mean, that's a, um, like a real-life story, right? That's it's right. about the, the resistance brothers. fighters yeah. who are yeah. out in the woods and... Yeah. Yeah. That's a true story. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I say Jews, you know, the Jewish, you know, the Jews versus Nazis, I'm, I think yes. that is the fantasy. It's the Hogan heroes. Right. Which is, this is, which is inglorious is a... Is a total a perfect example, yes. right? It's, it's a total fantasy because all... But here's the other thing that I didn't want to mention, it changes nothing. This counter-history actually changes nothing. Those six million are still dead. When all the Germans get killed, they all would have been dead pretty soon anyway. See, I think he masters it in the last movie. It might be the last movie he ever makes. I think, because if you notice, the movie starts once upon a time in occupied Nazi Germany. That's how it starts. Right. So, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he doesn't give you the movie until the end, in which Sharon Tate lives. And then at that point, when um, Rick Dalton goes to see Sharon Tate, and they hug, and Uh she's alive, and she's pregnant, Once Upon a Time, the title of the movie comes on at that point, and then you realize it's a fairy tale, and you cry. Because it's so touching and so beautiful that that's a counterfactual reality that doesn't exist. And I just thought that's, and I don't think he does, I don't think he gets there with this movie. Because, yes, because like I said. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't change history. No, it it doesn't, it doesn't. There's a little bit, it's nice to see, a little bit, it's cathartic. It's got some nice catharsis to it. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see Jews. Burning up Nazis, yes, right? Is. Of course. Rather than it it being sort of a slog of soldiers after D Day, uh, cleaning stuff up, and you know, the Hitler committing suicide in a bunker, it's a lot more satisfying, right? Oh, and there is a connect. I was going to say there was a connection with um with Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So Brad Pitt's character is Aldo Rains. Yeah. Once Upon a Time. Have you read the novelization? <laughs> I'm not that much of a dork. Oh, no. it's fun. It's you'd like you it. Have? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. Love it. It's like this. It's like this cheap-looking paperback. It went straight to paperback because that's sort of the whole point. Sure. Um, and I don't know if I have. I, if I have it somewhere still, I'll loan it to you. I may have. I may have already loaned it to somebody else. Um, but there's a whole scene in the novelization, which is not in the movie, where the Brad Pitt character meets Aldo Ray, who was a, a Hollywood star oh, back in the... When he know, steals his persona 40s, or something like no, that? No, 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 40s, 50s. He, was, he basically finds Aldo Ray washed up and jonesing for a drink in like a hotel when he's filming a movie. And because oh, Brad Pitt's working on the movie and Aldo Ray is there. And the one thing they tell everybody on the movie is, do not give Aldo Ray a drink. (laughs) 
And Aldo Ray is there in his hotel room falling apart. And, you know, <laughs> the grandpa, you know, he gives him a drink, right? <laughs> Cliff, he, he, he can't, you know, he can't help himself. He ends up giving, and, and, you know, I mean, probably Aldo Ray does not make it to set the next day. Oh, that's interesting. He, he gives him a, I think he gives him like a bottle of gin. Because Aldo Ray was this, he was a, you know, real movie actor. And he do was. They, do they address the wife killing? Do they address the Natalie yes. wife killing? Oh, they do in oh, the yes. novelization. Oh, yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. You, is it a play on Natalie Wood? Is it, is it, are they having fun there? Um, well, no, I don't know. Because in this case, it's very clear what happens. <laughs> okay. In the novelization. Yes. The he ambiguity, uses the harpoon, the, probably. Yeah, the ambiguity is removed. Entirely. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what Tarantino has like an Aldo Ray. Well, it, but he's also, probably seeing just like. 50 Aldo Ray movies. Antonio Margarete. Don't forget Antonio Margarete. Antonio well, that's another, that's another crossover between Once Upon a Time. What's that? Where Antonio Margarete uh, is the director oh, of, the one of, the of, films, the... of one of the films that he films when he's in Italy. As well as, who is the second? Who's the second behind? The second biggest spaghetti western film director. He's like Sergio something, but he's yeah, not that Sergio. Sergio Carbucci. Yes, that's right. But he's a real guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a real guy. They used to make tons of those. Oh, yeah. Remember Super Fuzz with uh, Ernest Borgnine? Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> but they used to make oh, those spaghetti westerns. Like, you know, people did actually. Uh, um, Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Went and worked in well, spaghetti Burt westerns. Reynolds a lot was of those guys to did. play the Dern character, Bruce Dern character in Once Upon a Time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That would have been also pretty cool. Yeah, it would have been. But Bruce Dern's also pretty great. I mean, I went and I looked at the soundtrack for this film. It's all this Morricone stuff. It's all this spaghetti. There's a couple of needle drops, right? There's David Bowie. There's what's uh, the Bowie song? It's it's at the end um, when she's getting herself uh, all dolled up. Oh, it's it's, uh, it's, um, it's from putting out fire with gasoline. It's from his German years, right? Right. Brian I think it is Eno. from Low yeah. or yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. right. There's that one. I think there might be. One, uh, but but mostly, it's Western music. There's a lot of Why? Western. Why? I'm not sure. Part of it might be just Tarantino having fun. But the I hateful have, eight. I have all. Well, that was like the hateful. No, eight. Hateful eight was, a, I think, a failure. He couldn't go right at. It. He couldn't go straight at it. Right. He like tries to kind of go straight at a Western. It doesn't really work. I believe. May, and maybe Tarantino agrees with me. All movies are westerns. Mm. I think the western was is the only genre. Yeah, kind it's the hero of, narrative. It's mm-hmm. it and it it Conrad. It was critical to movies Campbell. for like seventy years. For a major part of movies, for like for most of movies uh, history, the western has been there. And I don't think we've really come up with something yes, we better. Have. We have. Which is what? Science fiction. Even the it's science the, fiction movies are Western. But Westerns. that's the obvious substitute. The Western is a good, it's just a good milieu for, for drama. <laughs> they're, they're, it's a lawless environment with characters from nowhere. And it's like space. Yeah. And, but also, I guess I think the, the, the similarity this movie has with the Western Every Western really is about the end. Westerns are set, a a true Western is set 
at the period where the frontier is disappearing, right? It's, it's about the encroaching of civilization upon that open frontier. It's about every gunfighter is the last gunfighter. Shane has to ride off into the distance at, at the end of that movie, and you don't know if there's somewhere else for him to go. That's what Westerns are about. Westerns are about really the, I mean, that fits perfectly with Once Upon a Time end of in Hollywood, era. by the way. And it fits with Inglorious as well. I mean, Inglorious is about the end of, yep. of the war. It's about this whole thing r- r- running out of time, right? And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, certainly also about the Civilization end of an era. Civilization encroaching on ending an era. That's right. I'm a has-been. Um, yeah. What's, what, what's next? What movie would we do next? Um, Jeez, I don't know. There are some things that we've Well, I want to put about. this in the canon. So I want to I'm move- with you. I will go with you there. Yeah. I will go with you to say, even though this is Absolutely. the only movie we've talked about so far where it's not directed by a Jewish filmmaker. Come on. Um this is a Jewish this is film a- in a lot of ways. This is as Jewish as the Book of Esther. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um okay. Well, we put it in the canon. It's in the canon. Yeah. We've decided it's a Jewish family. Where would you put it? How Jewish is this movie? Nine and a half. Really? What's not Jewish about this movie other than the director? Um, well, it's mostly not Jews in it. It's mostly, you know. It's about a band of Jews killing Nazis. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. I would give it like a six. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. The Inglorious Bastards, a movie about Jews behind enemy lines scalping Nazis. I think if you showed six, I give it. A, I give it. A, I mean, I respect your opinion, but but you know, I give it again. Okay, most Jewish scene. Well, that's a good question. Well, yeah, when you put it that way, I think it's the lineup. I think it's, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, that's I love the lineup scene. It's. Um, or, or maybe the introduction of the bear Jew. That might be the most. That might be the most. Just the joy that they are all taking. So that's a good point. There aren't a lot of very Jewish scenes. There just aren't. No. There are not a lot of Jewish artifacts. There are not a lot of Jewish rituals. No. Non-existent. That's true. But I think a, a, a bunch of Jews sitting on walls just, just reveling in the power say, that they is- have over these pathetic Nazis. That might be the, you know, it's not a Jewish scene that maybe ever existed in real life, but it, it, it feels, you know, good in this film. It just feels good. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Well, for Jewish Frame, I'm Ben Shin. Uh, and I'm Rabbi Dan Ain. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care.